0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to Second Samuel, chapter 3, and we're going to pick up at... Actually, I'm going to read all of chapter 3 so we can be reminded of the first 11 verses. We'll pick up, though, at verse 12 for the sermon. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahnoam, the Jezreelitis, and his second, Cheliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, the son of Machah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Gesher. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithrium, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David at Hebron. It came about while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, "Why have you gone into my father's concubine?" And Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, and said, "Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David, and yet today you charge me with a guilt concerning the woman. May God do so to Abner, and more also, if as the Lord has sworn to David, I do not accomplish this for him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to establish the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him. Then Abner sent messengers to David in his place, saying, Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel over to you. He said, good, I will make a covenant with you, but I demand one thing of you, namely that you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see me. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife, Michael, to whom I was betrothed for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping as he went, and followed her as far as Baharim, Then Abner said to him, Go, return. So he returned. Now Abner had consultation with the elders of Israel, saying, In times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, and in addition, Abner went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and to the whole house of Benjamin. Then Abner and twenty men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be king over all that your soul desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him arrived, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he has sent him away and he has gone in peace. And Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why then have you sent him away and he is already gone? You know Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive you and to learn of your going out and your coming in and to find out all that you are doing. When Joab came out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. So when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the belly so that he died on account of the blood of Azahel, his brother." Afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are innocent before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall on the head of Joab and on his father's house. And may there not fail from the house of Joab one who has a discharge or who is a leper or who takes hold of a distaff or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai... His brother killed Abner because he had put their brother Azahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and gird on sackcloth and lament before Abner. And King David walked behind the bier. Thus they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. The king chanted a lament for Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put in fetters. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was still day. But David vowed, saying, May God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else before the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, just as everything the king did pleased all the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day, that it had not been the will of the king to put Abner the son of Nur to death. Then the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? I am weak today, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too difficult for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we look Through Your Word, teach us, rebuke us, train us in righteousness. Father, encourage us that we may be uh, men of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So a little bit of review here. Uh, The characters we're dealing with here, the, the men from history, are David and Joab. And Ishbosheth and Abner. And so David and Ishbosheth are both kings of certain portions of the people of Israel. And Joab is David's commander of armies, and Abner is Ishbosheth's commander of armies. And so you remember last time we looked at Abner having been called out by Ishbosheth for having his father's concubine. And. Um, for revenge of having that called out and having that pointed to, uh, Ishbosheth, or I mean Abner, turns to David and goes and uh, is now working to establish King David as sort of a uh, to take vengeance on Ishbosheth. But remember that Abner had already had been the one to set Ishbosheth uh, up as king. Now Abner, <coughs> Abner. His arrogance is on display again. Right from the start. So we're picking up at verse 12. Abner sent messengers to David in his place saying, Whose is the land? Make your covenant with me. Right? So he's showing his hand. He's showing, um, he's showing that he thinks that he has the power. And in fact, he, he probably does. Right? Um, but uh, he's going to David through his messengers and saying, look, you got to work with me. Make your covenant with me and things are going to work out. David responds very positively. Well, good. I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I demand. Um, Calvin says of David's response, we cannot condemn him as though he had committed some great offense, for this would be rash and presumptuous on our part. Right, And I think the point that Calvin is getting to is when it comes to political decisions, there's often a a knowledge that the parties have that others don't have. I mean, Fox News has made it their business to think they know everything. In every negotiation that happens with every government official, and they make their judgments about everything they do, and and yet they're doing it from half-knowledge. They're doing it from not being at the table in negotiations, right? They think they know everything, but in fact they don't. And so David responds, and we kind of want him to hit Abner, but he doesn't. And you think about the consequences. If he, have, if he had said to Ishbosheth, no, well, then there probably would have been all-out warfare, all-out civil war at this point. And so David's response can be seen as a king trying to keep peace uh, in his nation. And um, to a certain extent could be good for, for him to avoid uh, a lot of pain coming upon his people. But he, he then also gives a request. His request is that Michael be returned to him. And so you, you remember that Michael is Saul's daughter, right? Right? Um, given to David. Uh, 1 Samuel 25-44 Now Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife. Um, uh, this is later. So he's given to David, but then later Saul gives Michael to another man, to Palti, right? David's wife, to Palti the son of Laish who was from Galim. And so David wants Michael back. And it's very interesting to me that Calvin in his commentary speaks of how much this indicates Calvin, or, uh, indicates um, David's love for Michael. And I thought, well, I don't know <laughs> if it indicates all of that. Um, there may be political reasons. There may be pride reasons. This is one of seven wives, right? This is not like his one and only wife that he has had taken away from him. And so, um, not sure I, I go along with Calvin there. Um, <clears throat> Calvin does go on to concede that perhaps David is just thinking of his um, reputation. He says that it's likely that David was considering his own reputation when he wanted to recover his wife, for it was a disgrace to him that his wife had been snatched away from him. And that another was enjoying her. Right? And so again, it, it it is um it's political, it's it's his power, it's his reputation, and he wants Michael returned to him. But he's also negotiating with the house of Saul. Right? This is this is Saul's daughter. This Saul is obviously on the other side right now with Ishbosheth, and David is trying to. Um, bring order. So David goes to Ishbosheth. Notice it says, so David sent messengers to Ishbosheth. And yet it was Abner that had sent messengers to David about this. I think that indicates that David understands authority. He goes to the head man. He doesn't work through Abner. Um, David understands the line of command. We got to remember also that Ishbosheth is Michael's brother, right? Don't forget that as well. And so this is Michael's brother. And so David knows that if this is going to come about, um, and if Ishbosheth is is concerned about his father's concubines, you know he's going to be very concerned about his sister. Um, we get a little scene here... About um, Paltiel, Ishbosheth sent and took her, Michael, from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping as he went, and followed her as far as Baharim. And Abner said to him, "Go, return, <laughs> go, move on." And so it seems like Paltiel actually did have some some deep affection for his wife, Michael. And uh, we, don't, we don't know what Michael's thinking at this point. We have no record of it. But um, Palti seemed to have uh, real affection here. Um, <clears throat> but Abner steps in and sends him along his way. And that's all we hear of him. Um <clears throat> now, Abner then has consultations. Abner and 20 men with him come to... Um, or Abner had consultation with the elders of Israel, saying, In times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. all right so so Abner's beginning to to um, scheme, and he he realizes he's in a difficult situation. He's been with Ishbosheth, now he's with David, now he's speaking with the elders of Israel, and the first thing he does is remember that he reminds the elders that he's speaking to that you always want David over you anyway, right? We're only trying to attempt what, what you want. So he's, a, he, he's a, again being very political. But he has before him the elders of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, David himself, and he's urging them to follow King David. And, and what does this prove? Abner is urging them to follow King David. What does that prove? It proves that... He, He's a rebel, right? He's the man who set Ishbosheth up, and now he's urging all of Israel to go after David. He's, he's a rebel. Um, he, here's Abner making these grand arguments about how David needs to be the king. Calvin, again, here is very helpful. He says if Samuel had been resurrected, he would not have known how to talk any better than Abner, right? If Samuel, the one who anointed David, had been resurrected, he he would have he would have made uh, he wouldn't have made as good of arguments as uh, as Abner's making here, and so um, just proves that Abner was a very political man. Whichever way the wind was blowing, he would go. whichever whichever options brought him favor, he would do. Which is not to be a man of truth, right? That's just to be a man of uh, that's to be a, a a populist. That's to be somebody who pulls to find out which direction he should go. It's not somebody who has a, an integrity derived from the Word of God. Um, now, he's speaking truth. It is true that, that David had done this, but he's doing it with evil motives. Um, he wants to take vengeance on Nishbosheth. So his motives, though he's speaking truth, his motives are evil, and so his works are evil. Um, Abner arrives in Hebron, with, and that's where David is, with 20 men. Um, then Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. Why do you think that Abner trusted David? Why would Abner trust David at this point? He takes his men there, he arrives. It's not messengers anymore, it's he himself before King David. Why would he do that? David's reputation. David's reputation. What was David's reputation? He didn't kill Saul he was he was That's right. He's a man of His Word. He's a man of His Word. He, he, um, he wouldn't extend his hand to the Lord's anointed, and that was well known to Israel that uh, he had been merciful to the household of Saul. He had also grieved Saul's death. Right, And we get another grief scene at the end of this. He's grieving Abner. And so David's grief is a very strange thing to ponder. He grieves when his enemies die. He grieves when Absalom dies, who had tried to take the kingdom from him. He grieves when Abner dies. He grieves when Saul dies. And we're like, why is he sad? You know, these guys were afflicting him and trying to kill him. And yet, um, he grieves he grieves even when his enemies fall. But yeah, he, I think Abner trusts David because David has a reputation as a man of his word, a man of integrity. And uh, he, he's even respected by his enemies. David's respected by his enemies. That's when you know you have deep integrity is when your en- even your enemies trust you. Right? Those who somehow have taken offense at most likely your righteousness... Um, will at the end of the day um, even recognize that and uh, see it as integrity. Um, <clears throat> and so we, you know, by this example of David here, I think we're, we're admonished to live among men that they'll be able to trust us. Can we live among men that they'll trust us? Can we live so uh, so Christianly? that even enemies would come to us in a time of need, right? Um, Some of you may have had that happen to you. Somebody that um, just had an innate distrust of you for your religious views when they were hurting and when they were in dire straits came to you because they knew that you would be helpful. They knew that you would take the situation seriously. This, you know, it's being, um, it's being a man of your word. You guys know what it means to be a man of your word, children? What does it mean to be a, a man or a woman of your word? Keeping your promises. What you say, you do. You don't, um, you don't say one thing and live another way. You're not a hypocrite. Right, being a man of your word means to have that sort of integrity. So um, David, uh, David is that sort of man, and so Abner comes to him at Hebron, at at the capital city, and David made a feast for Abner. Again, this is you got to be thinking politically. David is think David is not just a, a man after God's heart; he's the king. Right? And so he throws a feast for Abner and the men who are with him. And Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be king over all that your soul desires. And, you know, I stop and think about that, and I think, okay, if I were the king, would I really want to send Abner away to talk to the elders of Israel? And I would be like, no, I don't want... Abner, who has just betrayed his own, own king, who, has, um, who is seeking to take vengeance against his own king, is set against him. I would not trust Abner to do that. But apparently, David does. David does trust him. So, David sent Abner away and he went in peace. He goes away, does not follow him, goes in peace. This, this is a man who, in a sense, has been given authority by David. "...to go about his business, enter Joab, David's commander of armies. Behold, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid, and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace." You know, there's that statement again. He had sent him away, he had gone in peace. Exactly what's stated in the previous verse. He went away, he went in peace. When Joab and all the army was with him, arrived, they told Joab, saying, Abner, Abner, the man who killed your brother, right, the man who killed your brother, but what, in what circumstances was, was Azahel killed? He was killed in battle, at, in warfare, in, um, in military action, okay, okay? And so um, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he has gone in peace. So three verses in a row, sent away, gone in peace, sent away, gone in peace, sent away, gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why then have you sent him away, and he is already gone? So again, that statement again, he's, you sent him away, you sent him away, you sent him away. You know, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive you and to learn of your going out and coming in and to find out all that you are doing. Now that's what we would expect the commander of the armies to say, right? He's supposed to protect David, and David's and he's thinking strategically. And it's like Abner, Abner, he killed my brother. He's here obviously to spy out what you're doing. He is trying to undermine your kingdom. This is this is Saul's household rising up against you, and that's what Joab um, thinks. Think of what Joab says here. He, he begins with, what have you done? What have you done? Um, what have you done? What are you thinking? Why, why, why would you let this wicked man go? And so, again, we, he's questioning David. We get no response of what David did. There's nothing listed here. Joab just questions him, says he's here to spy you out. And we don't know what David says. We don't know what he thinks. We don't know what his, his response is. There's no response here recorded. Which makes me think that, well, we do know one of David's flaws. One of David's flaws is he's, he, he mismanaged his own household especially when his sons had authority, right? But he mismanages um, when he should take action. Now, we already know about David that he's very merciful. And, and being a man after God's heart, we expect that. We respect that he didn't set his hand against the Lord's anointed. But we also um, wish that David would have felt an obligation as a father to discipline his own sons. Or he would have felt an obligation to speak when his commanders and those around him, even Abner, but but Joab certainly, um, come to him. And we just have no response from him. I think the silence is very loud here. And then... It's after that that Joab does his evil deed. When Joab came out from David, he sent messengers after Abner. So notice he comes out from David. doesn't say that David told him not to do something or to do something. He comes out. He himself sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. David is ignorant at this point. David doesn't know what's going on in his own kingdom. So the point seems to be underlined even more that David should have known what was going on. Abner returns to Hebron, he doesn't think that anything uh, untoward is is happening. Joab took him aside in the middle of the gate. Now what's significant about that? Joab's taken aside or Joab takes Abner aside in the middle of the gate. Any significance to the gates of Hebron and the gates of city cities? place of judgments where the judges did their judging. And Joab would have known that. And Joab wanted this to be a spectacle. This is justice being doled out. Right? This is justice that's going to happen. So Abner returned to Hebron. and Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the belly so that he died on account of the blood of Azahel his brother. So, Abner has taken vengeance for the death of his brother. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, Okay, so it goes on from there, and we learn of David's cursing. Um, Joab takes vengeance. He defies the king. Um, We see here played against one another two very ambitious men. Abner is ambitious, Joab is ambitious. And they come, come to a head, and Abner meets his end. Calvin, Calvin, thinking about this, says it is certain that ambition is the most mortal evil that can possibly happen to the church of God when everyone wants to advance himself and wants to be seen by others. And hence, let us learn to pray God to give us a gracious spirit to all those to whom He has extended His hand to place them Um, thus in some dignity so that they may conduct their business in all modesty and seek nothing else than to carry out their duty without any contention and without any envy towards one another. This is what is tying up this relationship. This is what is tying up Joab at this point. Joab is bloodthirsty. Joab wants to take matters into his own hand. What should he have done? What should Joab have done? I mean, are you feeling sympathetic for Joab? His brother got killed by Abner what should What should Joab have done? well he wasn 't wasn't in that position, though. I mean, well, maybe he was. Exactly. One, it was in an act of war, right? It was in warfare. So it was a just death. It's not like it was unjust. It was just. And Abner several times said, look, you know, back off, back off, back off and Azahel didn't stop in his pursuit, and so um the, i i don't i don't know if there is that um Joab, also was, was killed by D- Joab did deceive yeah, there is that <clears throat> right and um there was no recommendation to go to a city of refuge or anything like that there was there was um But maybe you're right. Um, But the response of David seems to make that um, unlikely, especially. But Ephesians 4, right? Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Right? Don't let the sun go down in your anger. What does that mean? Letting the sun go down in your anger. It's, It's a strange phrase when you think about it. You thought about it? If you have a sin you need to confess, confess it before you go to bed. How about if you're angry at somebody, you should try to reconcile before the sun goes down, right? What happens when we when um, when we don't do that? You can't sleep. That's a bummer. (laughs) That's the worst. What what happens? We all have experience here, right? Let the sun go down in your anger. What happens? Festers. Festers. Sometimes we don't even know it's festering. Sometimes we wake up and we think, okay, glad that passed, and we don't even know that that anger is taking roots and making a root of bitterness in our hearts. We're just like I'm glad not to be fighting. I'm glad not to be angry with my brother. I'm glad that that's over with. And yet we haven't done anything to reconcile. We haven't done anything to actually um, turn the situation and to repent of sin. So many times we just let things pass by without doing the hard work of reconciling, right? And when that happens, um, I think it builds... I think anger builds. And you become a man like Joab where um, he couldn't stand the thought of Abner taking another breath. And so we must deal with our anger immediately. Um, Anger neglected leads to insanity. Anger nurtured leads to insanity. Anger right, embraced leads to insanity. And by insanity I mean... You doing things that are purposely against the glory of God. Um, that's why it says, "Do not give the devil an opportunity to to uh, embrace anger." Um, is to uh, enslave ourselves to Satan. Is for Satan to enslave us. Right. So watch anger. Repent of anger. Reconcile with those you're angry toward. Um, If you've sinned against somebody, um, repent before the Lord and do this work of reconciling. Joab's a good example of this. Now, the response of David. David is very clear that this does not please him. Afterwards, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are innocent before the Lord forever, the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Innocent forever. And then he curses Joab. He brings the curse down on him. Now listen to this curse. May it fall on the head of Joab and all his father's house, and may there not fail from the house of Joab one who has a discharge, or who is a leper, or who takes hold of a distaff, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So, discharge. He would be unclean. Right? Let his whole house be unclean. A leper, lepers were cut off from the society of Israel, right? They were unclean, right? So let him be unclean, cut off from Israel, takes hold of a distaff. Now this is an interesting phrase here. What is a distaff? A distaff is a part of a spinning wheel. Spinning wheel was used by women to make uh, wool, to make uh, clothing right? And so he's saying that the the men of this household may they always take hold of the spinning wheel. And it's a statement about effeminacy. It's a statement uh, condemning that household uh, condemning the men of that household to do the work of women. And so it's it's, um, one commentator said a man only suited um, it's saying that this is that the household would be filled with men only suited for women's work, either because he was effeminate or because he was too weak to do men's work. So this is a curse on the strength of his household. And then falling by the sword is death, and then lacking bread is famine so, or starvation. So he's saying, may the house of Joab be unclean, cut off, effeminate, dead, and hungry. It's a pretty deep, Curse here right he is he is angry at Joab for bringing this upon his uh, kingdom now why why um why all this public mourning following why is everything public here why does why does David draw in all of Israel to mourn Abner? Abner, two days before, had been trying to draw the kingdom after Ishbosheth. What is he doing here? That's it. So all the people in all Israel, verse 37, understood that day that it had not been the will of the king to put Abner the son of Ner to death. He wanted everybody to make sure that they knew he didn't command this hit. Right? And that's for the sake of the peace of the kingdom. That's for... Um, <clears throat> that's... Uh, he, he wants the... Um, he wants he wants peace. He wants everybody to come together. What does he do with Joab? What does David do with Joab? Nothing. And look what he says in 39. Oh man. David is a he's a man after God's heart, but we have to remember that his sins are written large scripture his sins are very very, I mean he is a man just like us right loves the Lord and also does a lot of sinful things and needs the Lord's forgiveness he is not a man above sin but that last verse I am weak today I am weak today the king can't say that the king can't ever say that right as soon as the king who is set up to be strength for the kingdom, says, I am weak today. You know something's going wrong. That's a trigger right there. I am weak today, though anointed king. Right, He knows it's the wrong statement. Though anointed king. He knows that right now, he's to be strong. And these men, the sons of Zeruiah, Joab, right? And Joab's brothers, those are the sons of Zeruiah, are too difficult for me. King David... King David, the one who marched into battle, right, as a young man with five smooth stones and killed Goliath. Sons of Zeruiah are too much for him. They're too difficult. Um, David, the, the, the one who with his hands killed lions, right, is here. Um, feeling a little bit too sorry for himself. I am weak today. He is not taking on his responsibility. And notice that he—he though he has authority, he lays it um, at the feet of the Lord to do something. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil. Now, again, half of me says this is David not taking vengeance into his own hand, but David is also the king. David has authority in the kingdom to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do right. And he's saying today he's too weak for it. Um, Calvin says this. He says, those who have the sword in their hand and the rod of justice, those I say are guilty of acting illegally when they allow evil to go unpunished. Those who have the sword of justice when our government refuses to to punish evil, then they're guilty. In that case, they will be accomplices of the authors of evil, insofar as they have tolerated them. So when you tolerate evil, when you allow evil to go unpunished, you become an accomplice. Right? And so in a sense, David is saying that, that, um, or Calvin is saying that David became an accomplice with Joab by not punishing his evil act. Nothing happens to Joab. Joab continues as the commander of the army. Remember what Joab does in the future? I think David knew that he had Joab in his pocket. I think David knew that because Joab had done this evil and David had been soft on him, that David could use him down the road for whatever he wanted to. And Joab is the one that David commands to put Uriah at the front of the lines. Right? And so the evil of neglect leads to active evil that David engages Joab in down the road. And so um, remember that, that that Joab is still commanding the armies when uh, David puts Uriah on the front lines or commands that it be done. And so Joab is the one who then reports back that Uriah has died. To him, um, <clears throat> I think as we continue through the, the the through David's life, I think this one statement, "I am weak today," verse thirty nine keeps coming out. I mean, I think that's why why the Lord has put David at, and all of his sins in Scripture is to remind us that we're men after David's heart. I'm weak today. I'm just going to, I'm not going to go out and battle with the armies. I'm going to stay behind and, and, you know, go up on my rooftop and see what's going on around and see the women who are bathing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to deal with Joab right now. I'm weak today, right? I, I just don't have this. I, I'm not going to discipline Absalom. I mean, yeah, he may be a problem down the road, but I'm weak today. This is David's life. I mean, but this is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who worships the Lord. This is a man who knows the Lord. And, and yet, I think one of his characteristics is I'm weak today. I think that's one of my characteristics. And we, sh- we should hate that. We should hate that. Where, do, where can we find our strength? We can find our strength in the Lord. But we're always giving ourselves a pass, right? Oh, I'm weak today. I'm weak today weak i'm just i just have to give in to this sin now i just have to be annoyed at my children i just have to be angry i just i'm weak today right um it's no excuse first first peter talks about the god giving us everything we need for godliness Has god supplied what we need in order to fight against sin has God supplied His Holy Spirit that we might be, not be weak today? Has God given us weapons that are not carnal, but are for uh, our spiritual, right? God has given us strength. God has given us His own strength. God dwells within us, and yet so often we say, I'm weak today. I'm weak today. Though anointed king. I'm weak today though the Holy Spirit lives within me. I'm weak today. So, um, David's wonderfully, David's flaws and David's sins are written here so that we might see them and learn from a bad example, even as we learn from his good deeds. And so let's pray that we don't use this as an excuse. Boys and girls, you're not weak. The Lord has given you strength. The Lord has given you strength, so depend on Him. Don't ever say, I'm weak. I'm weak today. Um, God has given you power by the Holy Spirit. And you can fight your sins. You can actually conquer them. You can kill them. You can wrestle them to the ground and put them to death. And so, do that. Right? Do that. Enjoy the strength of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for David, our brother in the faith. We thank You uh, that You raised Him up as the King and You did mighty deeds through Him. And yet we see His sins, Father, and and they are are ugly. And it makes us look upon our own sins and see their ugliness. So Father, grant us repentance. Grant us strength by Your Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Help us to not make provision for the flesh. Not make provision by saying, I'm weak today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.